You can be turning with me to Acts chapter 4. Just keep going. I'm, I'm just getting it started. Okay. I, I didn't finish my notes last week. I got about halfway through them. And in my study, I got in, enjoying the study last night. And, and I got both sides of the page done last this time, and usually I don't have that many notes. I'm not going to get through all of it today. <laughs> so, in Acts chapter 4, I'd like you to look at uh, verse 23. And being so, so let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Recall they had been arrested here for preaching in the name of Jesus and healing a man and uh, creating such a commotion among the Jewish people. And, and they had been arrested and put in jail overnight. But uh, verse 24 says, And when they heard that, they lifted their voice to God, and with one accord said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is, is in them, or in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So this was fulfilling prophecy. That, that these all of these nations, the Herod, and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and even the people of Israel were gathered together against Jesus. And this was prophesied. And, uh, David prophesied this. He said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Our plans against Christ. It is impossible to defeat God. And they here were planning just that. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined for to be done. So this was prophesied and God knew that this was going to happen. Jesus knew it would be happening. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Here the disciples are praying for boldness, for holy boldness to serve the Lord. And he said, look at their, look at their threatenings. You, let us, you give us the power to have 
the strength to be bold in face of this opposition. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. He said, not by our own strength. We don't want, to want you to give us strength, but that we might speak in that name and that you would heal people of their diseases, of their, their troubles, their problems, whatever they may be, evil spirits or, or blindness, or you, you name it. You can do it, Lord. We know that. But we ask that you do this in the name of your son, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And, it, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said they, any of them, that out of the things which they possessed was his own. So there was one mind among these people. They, they acted... Andy and I were talking about the birds this morning as they flew in, in patterns together. And they, it's as though there's only one mind among all those birds. But this is the same thing here. But it is the mind of Christ that we are to possess. And, and we can move in unison just the way the birds do or, or fish in the sea. They, they turn and move quickly in any direction and in unison. So here the church was doing this and they said, nothing that, that, that I own is mine. It belongs to, to God. Everything. Which is the truth anyway for any of us. But they had all things in common. And they praised God with whatever they had. Verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was his own. But that but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. The, here the apostles were the, the preachers at this point in time among the church, the assembly of God's people. And great grace was upon all of them. Neither was there anything among them or any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So everybody had everything that they need, needed. There wasn't any lack and their possessions were of no problem to them. They were, they were free to serve the Lord, which is a, an interesting thing. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in taking care of our stuff that we forget about serving the Lord. We forget that that is our purpose 
as, as God's people. Verse 36 speaks of a, a specific man, man by the name of Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Not, we think of it as Barnabas. That is, the, but the Jewish term Bar means the son of. And Nabas is uh, in being interpreted as consolation. But I, I understand that that word uh, might be, better be termed the son of encouragement. You know, this, the term, I read on this in the Greek, or in the, not in the Greek, not that I read Greek, but on people who know the Greek say that this word uh, that's translated consolation here might better be translated as encouragement because that was who he was by nature. They, they gave him this nickname, basically, son of, of encouragement because he was that to the church, uh, which is being interpreted the son of uh, consolation or, or encouragement. A Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. As I understand it, this wasn't just a small uh, field, well, you know, like a field with a hedge around it or a rock fence around it or something. No, this was an estate. This was a farm, a productive farm. And he sold this and brought, laid the money at the feet of the apostles. So this was a wonderful state that the church found themselves in at this point. So, oh, free to serve the Lord. No cares, no concerns about, the, about worldly possessions. They, they just sold everything and brought it. And, and everyone had their needs met. But a, and we'll go on into chapter 5 here. And it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now this, this might be a good thing, but in their hearts they were keeping back from the Lord. And they essentially weren't telling everything. They said, well, here's the price that we got for it. And they were lying because they had gotten a bigger price for it and were keeping part of it back. Now, there might be nothing wrong with that if they said, here's part of it and this is what we're giving to the Lord because they could do that. And nothing would have been said. So Peter, uh, in verse 3, says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Uh, the idea here is that, that Satan controlled your mind in this way. Why have you allowed this? This is a question he's asking. He said, while it remained, was it not thine own? 
And after it was sold, was it not thine own, in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. Now that's the difference right there. You can lie, lying to men is not a good thing. That's not what he's saying. He's, he doesn't say that that's all right. But he's saying that it's worse than that because you've tried to lie to God. And that, God knows. God knows your heart. And he says, you, you've tried to lie to God. And, uh, he gave and, him the opportunity to come clean there too. too as he yes, asked. he did. Yeah. He yeah. did have the opportunity. Yeah. And he had the opportunity to say, I'm so sorry. Right. It, he said, it, it's yours. You could do what you want, but you lied to God in keeping this back and holding, withholding from God. I, I you have a question or comment? say that, you know, it just goes to show you that these, it, it wasn't these men that had the power to do this. It was God. Absolutely. God required that they were supposed to pay what they vowed and, and they didn't pay what they vowed. Right. So as a result of that, like you said, Brother Tony said, it gave them an opportunity to come clean. Yes. But, yes. but yet again, they didn't realize they weren't just lying to their, their brothers and sisters here. They were lying to God. Yes. And we can do that all day long amongst ourselves, but when it comes to the Lord, He's the one who accepts us or, you know. He, he calls us to account for what we do and what we say and what we say we're going to do and not doing it. You know, that's what the difference was here. And he said, while it was, while it was not sold, wasn't it yours to do with as you pleased? You didn't have to sell it. And when you sold it, you could have kept part of it back and said, this is just part of it, we'll give you this much. And that would have been all right, not a problem. But he and his wife, Sapphira, had conspired together to lie, to say, we'll give them this much of it and say it's the whole price. And then, verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. He, he was called on the carpet in front of everybody. And he gave up the ghost and died, fell down dead. And the young men rose up, arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. They just wrapped him up in his clothing and hauled him out and dug a hole and put him in. This wasn't Jewish tradition. They usually embalmed a body and, and washed it and took care of it and all of that. But they just picked him up, hauled him out and dug a hole and put him in it. And uh, in verse seven, and it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. She didn't know what had happened. And she came in and I just walked in and like, mm -hmm, here, here I am. And Peter answered unto her. He questioned her. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, 
yay for so much the price that Ananias had offered to the church he said was this how much you sold it for he said yeah oh yeah that's exactly what we sold it for then Peter said unto her how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord behold the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee carry thee out the idea here is that they were testing they were tempting God they were seeing what they could get away with from God to tempt the spirit of the Lord not a good idea I mean my, and my thought, thought was is do they not realize that it wasn't just going to hurt the two of them but it was going to hurt the rest of the, the assembly there I mean that that it doesn't seem like they had any thought to what it was going to do to affect the rest of them. Yeah, the, the testimony of the church. Right. It, it would hurt. It would seem to me, I don't know, that it would hurt the witness of the of the church there where they were. You know, because it, if they sold it, somebody was privy to that information. Well, as I, as I understand it, the waste property was bought and sold there, but you took it to the gate of the city. And to the elders that were there for judging and for deciding things and and they they sold those things there in front of witnesses when the wit two or more witnesses and, and it's done and so the witnesses were there at the gate the witnesses could say how much that land sold for and it was public knowledge, basically. It was written down by scribes there at the gate. You say, okay, Joe, Joe sold this property for so much, and Bill bought it, and, and, and the price was paid. Done. Andy? I think that probably it had a lot less to do with money than with God's character, because what you had you had miracles being done that were given for the purpose of establishing who God is and the fact that he's God and that he's always right. Okay, so all these miracles are being done. What happens when you get someone who's a liar and a thief and a cheat and a hypocrite is that they give God a bad name. If they're yeah. his and they give God a bad name, that's why the issue wasn't about money, really. No. The issue was whether or not they were honest. The issue was whether or not they had a right heart and whether or not God puts up with that in his children. And honestly, I think that we're all in a rather, I don't want to say precarious position, but we're in a delicate position because as God's children, if we are hypocrites, then we are doing the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira did. We're making God look bad. And when, when you have one hypocrite, they drive lots of people away from the Lord because people say, if God's like that, I don't want any part with him. Yes. And so they're guilty of sending people straight to hell sometimes or driving people away from the church or, you know, because it's not a matter of uh, just the one little individual act or something. It's a matter of whether or not God's character is adequately represented in his children. I mean, yeah. 
I have a father too. Yes. And he expected certain things of his children when we were growing up. And when we didn't do it, we had appropriate correction because it was expected. And in this family, we did it this way because it's right. And I believe God is no less, uh, how do you say it in English? No less insistent with his own children. He has requisites and expectations, expectations of yeah. his children. Because when we walk down the street and people know we're a Christian, then they know that what we do should be representing God. And what we do, if it does, then we're representing him appropriately. If it doesn't, we're driving people away from him. So I think that the main thing here that caused them to fall down and die was God establishing what behavior is acceptable or not to him in his children so that everybody knows that he is just fair and honest because he can't be God if he's not. Yes. So that it would undo all the miracles if he hadn't acted here and said, no, this is not a behavior that can be accepted. You can't lie and go around and make yourself out to be something you're not and be a hypocrite and still be one of my children. Yes, exactly. I, I punish my children. And, and we see this as we go on reading here. And... Uh, so we, we see that they, they not only did an Ananias fall down dead, his wife did too, and they, they came out and, and took, took them both away and buried them that day, right then and there, done. And uh, I, I think you're right about that because fear came upon all that heard about it. Not just in the church, everybody, everybody said, whoa, look at this. This is serious business. This is one of the, this is one of the, if I'm not mistaken, besides the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, this is one of the things where God's, God's work was evident. You know, yes. From the miracles that Jesus performed, to his death, and what happened after that. This was the first thing that you see besides the Pentecost, that the Lord says, all right, you know, even though the, the Old Testament is, is fulfilled, I'm still going to hold my people accountable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we need to have that. I, you know, the, the word fear is used, but the idea here is awe and respect and, and amazement at the power of God to just say the word and it's done. And... So, uh, here, I lost my place on the page here. And she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So it wasn't just the church, wasn't just the assembly of God's people, it was anybody that heard about it. And it was the whole city of Jerusalem that heard about it. Everybody did. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. 
and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them. They were, the church was assembled there on Solomon's porch, but the rest of them said, whoa, we're going to back off from this. Somebody just died there instantaneously. And we don't, we're, we're afraid it might, I might be mean next time, you know. And they were afraid. But then the next verse goes on, and it says, And believers were the more added to the, to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, those that believed and trusted in God, said, I'll put my life in, in God's hands. I'm happy to do that. And they were added to the church. The rest were afraid to even come up there and be associated with them at all. So we see this is one of the places where somebody would say, well, this is contradictory in the Bible. First you say everybody was afraid and they ran away. And then they said people were added to the church and they grew in numbers. But the, the difference, the dividing, is between God's people and those who are not God's people, those who who choose to be part of God's elect people, and those who choose to be otherwise, and the believers were and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. I don't know how big a multitude is. But it's not a few. I'm guessing there were hundreds, maybe, in, numbered in the thousands here. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now these were, these were the common people, maybe not even, <coughs> excuse me, Maybe not even uh, part of the assembly, part of the church, but they said, "We want some of this. We'll we'll set our our sick person out here on the curb, where maybe Peter's shadow will fall on them." Just that. It's like when the the woman said, "If I just touch his garment, I'll be I'll be healed." They had faith that God was able to do that, and. They said even just the shadow of Peter would would be enough. It, Tyler? Reminded of, of the layman that was by the pool of Siloam. You know, and he he sat there and he waited. He waited for all those years to, to you know, as the angel stirred the waters there at that pool. And he never could get to it. He, he wasn't quick enough. And Jesus come through and he's like, just and he believed he just couldn't get to the water to know that the Lord would be able to heal him with his with his angel stirring the water there. So when Jesus comes through and he says, you know, you're you're healed. Yeah, get up and walk. It was you know that was demonstrating the power of God to all these people here who've been laying there for years, lame, sick, blind, that couldn't see this pool, that that knew that this pool had healing healing properties by the power of God it was to demonstrate God's power amongst the people. But it was it was the first one in that was healed. Right, it was the first one in that was healed. So this guy 
couldn't get there quick enough. But Jesus come through, and because the man believed, yes, he was healed. So the Lord, just by the Lord's, the Lord's saying it was done. It was he was healed. So the same thing here. These apostles were given the authority to heal in the name of of. Of Jesus. Well, that's how this started. You know, it's when Peter and John were going into the temple and there was this lame man sitting there on the side of the road. That's what they were arrested for. These, these were exactly they were they were arrested because they were trying to to do what the Lord the Lord had given them authority to do, and they didn't want them to do it. But because it demonstrated that God's power worked through them. Yes. And and those people were scared because. They, they realized that they didn't have the authority. That's the point. That was given of them, given given to God, that had been given to them, but had been taken away. Authority is something that many people don't like to look at. You know, people want to say, "Well, I'm I'm the authority in my life." You know, they like to say that. You know, look at me. I like put their thumbs under their suspenders and say. I'm somebody. Well, that's kind of what the priests here were doing. That's where, and we'll see this as we get into our lesson, which we're not going to get into today. <laughs> but uh, this idea of authority, that authority, they were afraid they were going to lose their authority with the people, not just there in the temple. They, they were in charge of the temple, the priests and the and the captain of the temple, and and they had basically their own little army there, a religious army. The uh, one of our kids used to say the righteous police, but <laughs> anyway, they had a a group here that came, and they they had this responsibility to God to do the right thing in the temple and they were doing their own thing instead. And verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. That word indignation means jealous anger. They were angry because they were jealous. Here all of these people were bringing people out into the street to be healed. And the healing was taking place and they said, what are we going to do about this? I mean, we can't do anything about it. They're worshiping God in the street for the healing that he provides in the name of Jesus. This Jesus that we hung on the cross not long ago that died. But he rose again from the dead. And these people are his witnesses. And verse, verse 18. And they, they rose up filled with indignation. This jealous anger. And laid their hands on the apostles. And put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. And brought them forth and said, Go, Stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. The message of life. All, all these words of life. 
that Jesus made possible when he paid the price of sin on the cross. He said, you go preach this message of life. This is a commandment from an angel of God to these men that were extricated from the prison. The, the wardens were there. The, the guards were outside. But to them, the doors couldn't hold them. The angel said, go, preach the word. Tell people of the message of life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together. This was the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, the highest court in Israel. These, these were the high mucky mucks, to you, what you would say. They were, they were the senators. It says, and all of the senate of the children of Israel. This had a, their senate consisted of people that were representative of each of the tribes of Israel. That was the senate. And the Sanhedrin was the religious council. The, the high priest and his relatives even, it was a, a family thing. And they were, at this time, the the higher house of was held by the Sadducees. Now there were Pharisees also, and, and likely other sects of the Jews also. The, the Hasidic, and there were other groups. We know, we know of them yet even today. But this council was called together, and all the Senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them have them brought. Should you go get those men we put in prison yesterday and we'll we'll ha have a court here. We'll have a trial. Put them on trial. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told saying, "The prison truly we found shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors." But when we opened, we found no man within. It was an empty cell. Nobody was in there. All of the prisoners were gone. I don't know if there were others in there with Paul and John, or with John and Peter. I don't know. There may have been other of the apostles who were in prison, but they were let go. And they said, we found it. The, the wardens were there. They were doing their job, but there wasn't anybody in, inside the prison. The doors were still locked. Well, I don't know. Maybe Peter and John and all the, all the prisoners just walked through doors. I don't know what the, how the angel arranged that. that they weren't seen. They weren't heard. Nothing happened. Nothing was known of how they escaped. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They weren't certain how far this was going to go. We, look, at, look at this. Not only are they doing miracles in the street, but they disappeared right out of the jail. 
no jailbreak. The jail wasn't broken into, but they're gone. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you, you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They weren't afraid of what you said. They're right back doing it again. They're not afraid. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Wow, you're not only are you teaching in the in the temple, but look at all this. You're we told you, we commanded you, we strictly forbid you to teach in that name. And now you're out doing it again? And and healing people and doing all this stuff what are we going to do with you <laughs> and you're trying to bring the blood of that man on us I mean like like they were little innocent lambs you know they had nothing to do with it and and he said you're trying to get us killed by the people they, they were afraid that they were going to get stoned when they went and got Peter and John. But they said, we, we, we invite you to come to the council. We, we want you to come. Please come peaceably. Because they were afraid of the people. They knew that the people were excited, and rightly so. They were impressed with God and what God had done and the name of Jesus they were impressed that just the very mention of Jesus could heal people and so they said what are you what are we going to do with you people and verse 29 says then Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than men simple as that we've got a choice we either obey you or we obey God what would you do <laughs> they couldn't argue with that they knew better not that they did better they knew better in closing I want you to look at in verse in chapter 4 verses 19 and 20 But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. You be the judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We, we don't have a choice in the matter. We've seen these things with our own eyes. We've seen Jesus. We saw him resurrected from the dead. We know that God has blessed him, and he has blessed us through Jesus. What are we going to say? Can we deny this? 
Do you want us to lie about it? No, you judge yourself. You would, What would you do? And they couldn't say a thing. And that's what we have to have evident in our lives, is that we are doing what God wants, not what man wants. We can, we can hear all sorts of things that people say about God, but we need to listen to God. What does God say? What does... What, does his, what is his testimony in your life? How does he tell you to act? Well, I'm going to stop there. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It, it's an exciting thing, and we're going to get into even more exciting things as we look into the, uh, the next couple chapters here. And I, I hope it's as encouraging to you as it is to me to, to read these things and to, to see the, the power of God in these people's lives. But what I'm even more interested in is seeing the power of God in my life and in your lives because we are witnesses, just as Peter and John were just as the apostles were. Now, it may not be a time for miracles. God is, still has that power. He can still do it in your life, in my life, in anyone's life. But we have to act in faith that we are doing what God wants us to do. I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like I fall way short. And I want God to change that in my life. If you have the same expression and wish that things were better in your life, put those things in God's hands because He can do that. He can change your life and make you what you ought to be in, in His service. He can do great things in your life, but you have to let Him. You have to ask Him. You have to have the intent to serve God. Because he isn't going to do anything against your will. All right. Comments? Um, I was thinking this week, in fact, yesterday in particular, about how when we uh, get through with this life, the only thing we're going to have left that we get to take with us for the next life will be who we are, as in who we've become in the Lord as opposed to who we were when we started. Yes. And also, of course, the people that have been saved, it'll be there with us. But other than that, we leave everything behind. And so I was thinking, I was praying for a friend of mine, and she's going through terrible things. And uh, I have a number of friends that are going through terrible things. And I was thinking about how, uh, how hard it is and how, how much anguish and pain they were going through. And, there's a devotional book called Streams in the Desert that I read, and it's really a comfort and a strength. But one of the things that is like a theme through it, you know, we're all going to stand before God one day, and we'll either hang our heads or not, depending on what we did in this life. And if we get wrapped up in this world and the temporary things we're going to leave behind anyway, we won't uh, be the kind of people that 
will be able to hold our heads up before God because it takes sacrifice, it takes uh, sticking with what's right no matter what it costs. And the people that we're going to admire and look up to in heaven are going to be people like the apostles who gave their lives to the Lord. You know, it's, it's the scars that we're going to show off when we get there. We're not going to go up there and say, hey, look at me, I don't have a scar anywhere on me, aren't I perfect? I mean, that, that guy's going to hang his head and say, I'm so sorry, I never gave anything to the Lord. I never participated in suffering for his name's sake. And the people who say, you know, like Ananias and Sapphira, you know, we want to look good, but we don't want to be good. Then yeah. those people are going to be the ones that nobody even wants to look at twice. And they're going to be ashamed all through eternity. I, you know, even if you're not in hell, to be in heaven and hanging your head for eternity doesn't sound real good. And I was thinking about my own pain and suffering in life and thinking, you know, I really do not enjoy it. I'm allergic to pain. But uh, it's one thing that's kind of comforting is that I would much rather have it and suffer in this life than to have to stand before the Lord and say, you know, I never really endured anything for your name's sake and I didn't try to have a godly attitude even when I had my suffering, you know. It's not easy to do that. But, no, but you but, don't get extra points for suffering either. But if you weigh it in your, <laughs> your balance, and on the one side, you say, well, I could uh, get around this and not have to go through it, but I'd have to, like, deny the Lord or not not represent Certainly. Him appropriately. All of a sudden, you know, the pain is miserable still. It doesn't go away. It doesn't look any worse. better. It just, in fact, sometimes it even looks worse, but there's something worse than that. And that's to deny the Lord that gave us everything that we ever could have and gave us the hope of eternity and gave us each other. Yes. You know, in the Lord. So, I mean, it's the one thing probably that keeps us, that gives us strength and hope in this life is that every single problem we go through and represent Him appropriately will count for us in eternity and we'll be able to hold our heads up. There's a verse, and I can't find it quickly, but about uh, being able to hold our heads up when Jesus comes. Being able to yes. stand with our heads up. All right. I, I think that's, that's something that we each need to look at is our own lives. We can't look at somebody else's life and say, he or she ought to be doing this. It's, it's what, how can I better serve God? All right, our, our time is up. I may have 25 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think I misplaced my sermon notes and all these papers I put up here, so. If you will, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at a past this uh, six starting about the sixth verse. Uh, we'll read down through verse eleven of chapter five. It says, "Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him." For we ju uh, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in this body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. So here we, and looking at the context here of the verses we just read, this is, part of Brother Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the second such letter. Um, Corinth, we know, is uh, situated in what is called modern-day Greece and a little isthmus in between, almost like an island, and the main body of the Balkan Peninsula there on the Mediterranean Sea. And it was a center of trade. I think we've talked about this a little bit. And there was a lot of, of course, with any major port, there was a lot of uh, things going on that shouldn't go on there. Um, a lot of uh, pagan and uh, other worship of other deities other than God. And uh, the church was established there. And, of course, we know in the previous letter that Paul was writing to counsel them and encourage them regarding the things that were being taught and, and proclaimed there. There were some issues going on, divisions. There was some uh, immorality going on amongst the Lord's people. And he, he wrote them previously saying, I write to you that... I can't give you the, the meat of the word, but I'm going to have to give you the milk of the word, rather. So he wanted them to move on to the, and, and grow in there and mature in their service to the Lord, but he understand in order to first get there, they had to address the problems amongst themselves, right? So here we have in this second epistle here written to the church at Corinth that he addressed, he was addressing some of the things that had been previously addressed, these other things, and these other letters that he had addressed them to, to encourage them to continue to overcome the tribula tribulations that they had among themselves. One of the matters that he had addressed to the church, and the church there abroad, those other churches that would read this letter, is that they would be accepted of him, of God. Not him, as in Paul, but uh, uh, be accepted of God. As we read there in verse 9, it says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we be, may be accepted of him. We know, of course, that we need to be accepted of God rather than of men. Why? Because men have no authority over the life to come. It's God. And if we're servants of the Lord, then we ought to be concerned with laboring for him. We know, of course, that the apostles, uh, of course, the apostle Paul was traveling and he was writing to them to, be, to encourage them to do the things that they were supposed to do. He says, verse 7 there, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. He says, I, I'm, I believe that you're doing these things while I'm not here. He says, uh, 
We are confident, I say, and uh, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be gone to be with the Lord rather than here in this body. But he says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So, the ultimate test in our service to the Lord is to be weighed and judged at the Lord's return. The word, that word there, accepted, is defined in the Strong's Concordance. Of course, I tell you, I'm not a Greek, a Greek logician, but um, it was euorestos, which means well-fit. So to be well-fit. So this charge was given to the brethren that they succeed because Paul and the other disciples of the Lord labored and cared over these brethren, teaching and preaching through through their letters regarding that which they needed to strengthen and correct, as well as to keep laboring in the Lord. This is a demonstration of the thought Paul told the church at Ephesus. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read verses 14 through 16. It says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual workings in the measure of every part, maketh it increase the body which edifieth of itself in love. So we're partly accountable to one another. We've talked about that previously. But it says there, for whom the whole body fitly joined and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Well, if we're to be accepted of the Lord, we are to complement one another. Speaking in terms of, of building something, if one thing is weak, it weakens the whole structure, right? That means that each piece that bears the weight is accountable, right? We talked about accountability in, in our Sunday school lesson this morning. The thought that things things done in this body were accountable for, one to another and to the Lord, most, most and foremost. But if we're not performing our proper function towards one another in love, we weaken the body of Christ. We're not performing effectively in our service to the Lord. We can't think in terms of self alone. We have to think in terms of us as a group. And how we affect even our sister churches that we know and fellowship with. Our name, if it's stained, can be a reproach to them too. We hear the term guilt by association. It's exactly what it is. We talk about laboring for one another in love. We can't skimp. The Lord doesn't call us to weak service. He calls us to be strengthened in Him, right? So it's not just ourselves, but those who depend on us, one another, and also we're to provide strength to the community around us. 
or project the light from, from the Lord, right? The life within us. We can't do that properly if we're holding back. How else are those going to see around us the light that's in us if we don't spend time with them, we don't show them? So those who depend on us, this is the proof of our faith and our conviction before the Lord. Let's look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse 29. I must admit, Brother Ed got all up in my in my space this morning, which I'm okay with. We overlap, that's right. Acts chapter 10, verse 29. What, what I'm talking about is the account of Ananias and Sapphira and how this plays into it as well. But we'll start here in Acts chapter 10 and verse 29. <clears throat> he says, Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as, all, as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore that what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon the Tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou, thou wast Excuse me, thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And the word which God sent unto the children of Israel preached, preaching peace by Jesus Christ that word I say, <clears throat> that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with the power and whom went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, and they slew him and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and shewed himself openly, not only to uh, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before before of God, even unto, uh, unto us, and whom did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that is he which was ordained of God to be judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all prophets witness, and through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall re receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them which had heard the word, and they of the, uh, the circumcision which believed were astonished, and as many as came Peter, came with Peter, because that on the, excuse me, because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnified God. And then Peter answered, and can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which had received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
And then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here we have the account of the household of Cornelius and their conversion and their baptism. So Peter spake that the Lord is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't regard one person over another. And that he required fear them to fear God and work his righteousness, not their own. That is how we are accepted of him. Fear God and work his righteousness. It's not the righteousness derived of ourselves, but of him. There again, we see that it's not of a choice to do things for ourselves, but it is what? That we are changed to do the things before God, which he requires of us. This conversion was because Cornelius sought the Lord and sought his ways above his own. And what was best for the benefit of his whole household. It wasn't just him, but it was his household as well. Considering that he was the leader of his household. He looked to the Lord for guidance through fasting and prayer and received a vision saying, go find this man. <laughs> he says in there, and all who, uh, all who heard Peter received the Holy Spirit and was baptized. They received and obeyed, didn't they? And say, oh, hang on just a second. Let me do what I need to do. It was with full acceptance. So what examples do we have of those who did not accept? Meaning they sought to benefit their own selves. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. Not to rehash... but to just re-examine, re right? <laughs> Acts chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 10. It says, But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Jesus said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart, and thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and a great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was the space of three hours after while his, when his wife, not knowing what had, done, had been done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? 
Behold, the feet of them whom buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And a great fear came upon all the church and upon many as heard these things. So these two colluded together to hold back a portion of what they had sold. After they had promised the Lord they would provide this much. Seems that the whole church agreed to do that in the previous verses in chapter 4. And what did they what happened to them? Because of their lying before the Lord, the Lord required their lives of them, didn't he? What was not accepted of God? They lied to him. It wasn't for his benefit, for his service. It was for their own benefit. After they had pledged and plead before God that this is what they would do. We don't have time to go across several others' example, but we have the example of Saul, who, after he was charged to collect a certain amount and not partake of the spoils of war, what did he do? He took for himself. He did more than what he was supposed to do. And he violated what the Lord had told him to do. What happened? He lost the kingship, didn't he? And his position. Although he still retained it in the eyes of men for a time, the Lord required that back of him, didn't he? And he lost his position. That ought to make us think about what we do before we do it. Well, I was always telling me, Tyler, think before you do something. My wife, my wife is wise beyond her years. And I'm just dumb, so. <laughs> so think about what is not accepted of God. It doesn't take long for us to begin to ponder these things of what's accepted of God and what's not, right? So we also have the account of Korah and those who followed after his rebellion. What happened? They didn't do they followed after serving the golden calf and they played and they worshiped it. And guess what? The Lord required their lives of them and the earth opened up and swallowed them whole. So Jonah strove with the Lord not to go to the Ninevites to preach the word of God. Why? Because Jonah knew that the Lord was a gracious God and would forgive him. And he was mad. Yes, he was a prophet of God, but he was mad because the Lord, he didn't want the Lord to spare him. These are evil men. It goes to show you the righteousness of God and his thoughts are higher than ours. And ultimately, God got what he needed Jonah to do, didn't he? Preached to the Ninevites, howbeit their kingdom was destroyed later on, but he gave them opportunity to repent. And for a space of time, they did. So what do we follow? What's, what order do we follow? Are we accepted of God? Or are we accepted of men? 
Do we gather together to please the, the church down the street that is of a different faith? No. We gather because we're conflict, uh, convicted that God told us what we should do here. Not for their benefit. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 20. It says, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhort one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that which we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of the judgment and fiery indignation with which devour the adversary. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under the two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall ye be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, and I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were eliminated, ye endured a great flight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them by which were so used. For ye had compassion on me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing that yourselves that ye had in heaven a better and more enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which ye have great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if man draw back, my soul hath no pleasure in him. But we are not of them which draw back unto perdition, but to them that believe to the saving of the soul. So the writer here addresses what is required of us as the Lord's people. Having followed the assurance of our faith in Jesus Christ. Points touch out the assembling of ourselves together. Whether they went in order to do the business of the disciples did in the synagogue. When they went to a town, they went to the synagogue first. They didn't go put their things down at the hotel or the inn and or find themselves a camping spot. They went straight to the synagogue. They went straight to find those who were congregated to serve the Lord, right? 
How many of us during our week put thought to doing the Lord's stuff first and our stuff last? These accounts are echoed in the, in the Gospels and in Acts under the direction of Jesus. Where did they go? They went to the steps of the temple. They traveled throughout Galilee and Samaria. What did they do? Preaching the word of the Lord all the way and wherever they stopped. There was no off time. Brothers and sisters, we're on duty all the time. And there are eyes on us all the time. He says, therefore, if we sin willfully, in verse 26, that we have, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Do you think that scripture, there's something to misinterpret there? No, it's pretty clear. Andy said it this morning. She talked about that it's the Lord that looks at our characteristics. Are our characteristics godly or are they ungodly? There's only two ways to look at it. I was listening to a message the other night. Brother Kevin Bellinger, I think, was, was referenced. Uh, uh, but Brother Philip Lewis, Grant's father, was preaching a message and I was listening to him and he said, you know, we don't know when the Lord's going to come. The scripture tells us as much. We don't understand the time or the hour, but we do understand one thing. It's coming and it's closer than it was yesterday and the day before that. So don't you think if we know something's coming, we don't know the hour, we ought to be prepared all the time? If we're not prepared now, then we ought to be preparing now. <laughs> That's not my words. That's the scripture right here in front of us. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when you watch the news how bad the world is. But the rest of the world is not accepted of him, are they? We should be the opportunity which, which they see to be accepted of him, right? That they would receive it. So the pressure's on. Pressure's on us. We're his representatives, right? We're the light in this community that we serve here and wherever we go. He says there, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of living God. And then he goes on, but called to remembrance the former days in which you were eliminated, ye endured a great flight of afflictions, partly whilst you were a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you become companions of them that were so used. People know I'm a pastor, and I'm a preacher. And I have had more people tell me when they say a cuss word in front of me, I am so sorry. Or they talk. They don't. They don't care about talking about. They, they every chance they get, they talk about their what they like to do outside of the work time. And more often than not, it's about drinking or about getting together with their family or about things like that. But they know who I am and what I do. 
And some of them enjoy an opportunity to test to see what I'll say and what I'll do. So they can say, aha, I gotcha. I had, I've had coworkers before of alternate lifestyles other than ours. And they would always use it as an opportunity to say, you're making that a joke about me, aren't you? You're, 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 you're talking about my life. I'm like, no, I'm not. I can't tell you. I can't make you see what I see, right? I can only tell you what I believe and what I understand and what I'm convicted of. And I can tell you the things that the Lord showed me and witnessed to me to show me that he means what he means, right? I've won some friends and I've lost some friends for it. Because I wouldn't walk with them. I would have rather than walked with the Lord. They could have walked with me then. So, examining the scriptures and the things that we've looked at requires us to do some introspection. What is accepted of him? We have what's accepted of him and we have what we do, right? Do the two reconcile? This is tax season, so I, I grew up with a, a, a lady that, that did taxes for a living. So these things are taught, were taught to me. Does it reconcile? Does it add up? Does the balance equal Christ or does it equal the world? There's only two ways to reconcile it, right? You're either off budget or on budget. I'm, under, I'm learning somewhat. Donna's smiling at me. So, we have but one charge in our service to the Lord. It's to be accepted of Him. And it requires us to serve Him all the time. That forsaking of the assembly that He talked about was turning away from the teachings and turning, away, turning your back on your brethren. That's what forsaking means, giving it up. We all made an oath, an agreement with God when we were baptized to enter the, enter the church, right? What was our oath? That we serve the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our being, right? That, that didn't change from the Old Testament to the New. Didn't change at all. So we are indebted to the Lord in the opportunity that we might have salvation. But we have a reckon, reckoning coming. We have a reconciling coming. And are they adding up to what's accepted of him? Well, thank you.